Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back here at Free Christian Church. I, um, so six years ago, I don't know if you remember, but six years ago, um, Pastor Jack retired, and he had this big kind of farewell uh, ser- uh, sermon. Obviously, you, as you can imagine, the, the service was very emotional. It was very, uh, uh, very powerful. And they thought, who is going to preach after this, like, who would possibly, who could we get? And they said, let's throw the youth pastor to the wolves <laughs> on the Sunday after that. So I preached here uh, the week after Pastor Jack gave his final address. And now come to find out, I hear I am now following him again. <laughs> so no matter what, I'm, I'm always, I, that's okay. That's a good place to be following Jack. But uh, it is great to be here. I have a lot of memories here. I was a youth pastor here for five years a lot of familiar faces, uh, some of uh, my own kids who aren't so kid-like anymore. Um, it's, it's weird when they start growing up and uh, getting jobs and getting married sometimes to each other, uh, which just happened last week, which is just still kind of weird for me, but it's, it's really cool and it's really great. We have a lot of uh, really great memories uh, here at Free Christian Church uh, one of my favorites, so when you think about youth ministry and you think about all the fun, crazy stuff that we would do, we have a lot of great ones. But one that I remember, uh, one of my fondest, is one at a confirmation retreat. We were at this confirmation retreat. We were up in the White Mountains at this retreat center. And uh, it was an evening, and all the kids had gone sort of up to the second uh, floor, like uh, lounge area, and they were watching a movie. And some of us were just kind of hanging around uh, up there. It was real late at night, and a car came and pulled into the driveway, and that seemed a little strange that that, that time of night, it was pretty late, at that time of night, that a car would pull in. And so, you know, everyone kind of noticed, but didn't really uh, do much about it. So I went downstairs just to make sure everything was okay, and in walked this, this strange man uh, that we had never seen before, and he walked in, and come to find out, he was just simply lost. That was it. He, he was trying to find his way. He was about 10 minutes out of his way, pulled in, very nice guy gave him direction, and he was on his way. Well, as I was coming back up the stairs, uh, one of our students, Joe Kirkendall was his name, he came to the sounds because he was curious too. And he said, you know, who, who was that guy? And I don't know what came over me. This was not premeditated. That's probably uh, the start of always uh, good or bad stories. This was not premeditated. But I, I, something came over me. I looked at him in the eye, and I said, Joe, go upstairs right now and get everyone and get get to a safe place. This guy has a weapon. <laughs> and I need, you, I need you to do this. Can you do this for me, Joe? Can I trust you? Can you do this for me? His eyes got like saucers. And it's in that moment when you realize, I probably took this too far. This was probably, this was probably a little, and he started to dash up the stairs. Now, I did not want to cause a panic, right? I, I know at this point, like, if I let this go on any longer, we're going to have mass chaos. So I chased him with this. I'm like, Joe, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. And still, like, five minutes later, he was like, he was like still coming off the adrenaline rush of it. And you just, that look of, like, raw primal fear uh, I saw in his eyes. That's when you knew, like, probably too far. We probably took this a little too far. We, we have these moments, though, right? We have these moments of just complete fear. I don't know if you've ever experienced one of those just gut-wrenching 
moments of fear. Maybe it was a time for me. For us, it's often uh, my six-year-old daughter who just loves to explore, and we lose her all the time. Like, we turn around, and she's gone. And we had just this last week, we were at, the, we were at a beach, and she decided she was going to go chase seashells all the way down, and it took us like 20 minutes to find her. And you have that primal fear um, that you can't find your child. Or maybe it's the seconds before a car accident. Or maybe it's, it's, it's a time where you're, I don't know if, you've, uh, if you like uh, uh, being at home at night in the dark and you hear creaks and cracks and things like that. And you, you know, it, it causes you to dream all these dreams and, and, and think of the, uh, kind of the last case or the, the worst case scenarios. But uh, we all have these fears, right? And some of these fears, like, like with Joe, some of them are funny, right? They're, they're, they, you, know, you jump out and scare someone, you spook someone, something like that, and it's funny. But then we also have these other fears that we don't talk about, right? It's the fears that we don't want to share in a public setting like this. We can share the Joe Kirkendall stories. Those are funny, and we, you know, we can do But then there's these other fears. There's these fears of failure. There's fears, fears of inadequacy. There are fears of death. There are fears that we don't measure up. There are fears of loneliness. There's a fear of being out of control. There's a fear of loss. And we might not all have the same ones, but we have these fears. These fears that we don't talk about or we don't want many people to know about. And in the psalm this morning we talk about, it was, it's a psalm attributed to David. And this historically has been attributed to David, and it's in the midst of one of his most fearful times of his life. If you remember the story, David is winning favor with the people of Israel. He kills Goliath. He's a successful commander in the Israelite army. And King Saul has grown jealous of the popularity that David is, 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 is attributing to himself. And he's, he's, he's building throughout Israel. And slowly but surely, uh, King Saul grows uh, kind of mad. He goes kind of crazy with uh, with this jealousy and this, this uh, sense and maybe his own fear of, of failure and significance. And so he eventually goes on a pursuit to kill David. And so David is on the run. He's fleeing. He's hiding in caves. And it's in the midst of this time that many of the Psalms are written, including this one here in Psalm 34. It's in the midst of this season of his life where he is fearing, literally fearing for his life. And in the midst of hiding living in other regions and trying to stay alive, he pens this psalm. And I think that's helpful for me to know where he's coming from when he's writing this. I think it's helpful for me as I read it and see where is this, when he talks about fear and, and, and driving out fear and taking refuge, where is this coming from? This is coming from a very real-life situation where he is dealing with his own fears. And so he writes this psalm. So if your Bible's with you, we're just going to walk through this uh, quickly to be able to get some sense of what he's saying here, because I think there's some interesting things he's saying. Now first, when we look at the first three lines of a, of a psalm, this is a classic Thanksgiving psalm, and when you have a Thanksgiving psalm, the first few lines typically are, are, are uh, lines of praise, of worship. And so he uses words like extol and praise and glorify and rejoice and exalt it's all recognition of our standing and his standing before God. We're not on equal footing. And, and I think that's helpful to say when we start off a psalm is to say, God, 
you are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all, all of our uh, uh, the glory, our rejoicing. We exalt you. You are higher than us. And so when I come into this situation, I recognize first, right from the beginning, that we're not on the same level here. I'm not talking to a friend. I'm talking to God. I'm talking to a father. I'm talking to the creator of the universe here. And then he gives in verse 4 what I think is sort of the thesis statement of the psalm. Sometimes I find it hard to kind of get my head around a psalm, and it feels like it's just kind of random uh, connection points of praise and things like that. But I actually do think there's an there's a argument he's weaving through here. He's actually making a bigger point. And I think his thesis here is in verse 4. He says this, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And what he's saying is, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from these fears. And now the rest of the psalm is going to be unpacking that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so what he does first in verses 5, 6, and 7 is he actually gives us a little history lesson. Now, we don't see it. It's not very clear because it's in poetic style. He's, he's writing a psalm. And so he's not going to be necessarily very direct, but he gives little references. He, gives a little, he uses little words here and there that's supposed to trigger us as the reader, and particularly his readers, who they, were, they eat, breathe, and slept the, 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 the Psalms and the Old Testament. They would read some of these trigger words and go, I, I know what he's talking about here. He's not saying it, but he is saying it. Let's see if you can pick up the little notes here of different stories he's referencing. So he's referencing different stories in the Old Testament that kind of prove this point, that when you seek the Lord, he delivers you from all your fears. He says, let me show you, in the next three verses, let me show you some ways in which this actually happened. So in verse 5, he says this, those who look at him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Have you heard that before? Particularly in the Old Testament, right? It's the story of Moses, right? The Israelite, the people have... Uh, have set up a golden calf, and they have worshipped it, and, and just as, you know, it's, it's like, what are you guys thinking? Like, right as we're, like, getting to the good stuff, where God is really establishing this new nation, and you already jump uh, to something else to worship. Not like us at all, right? We, we would never do anything like that, right? But those, those silly guys, they, they, they do it, and so Moses has to go back up the mountain of Mount Sinai to reestablish the covenant with his people, with, with, with new tablets and a new... And so he comes back down after their sins had been forgiven, and he's going to now reestablish this relationship. And the scripture says that his face was radiant because he had been in the presence of God. And it said the people actually feared it. They feared it because his faith... They actually made him cover up his face because they couldn't handle that type of close connection with God. And so then he uses, so he uses those words. David now then uses those words. He says, look, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered. When we look at him, he will melt those fears. Or just as he melted the fears of the people who are, who are terrified that they had blown it. And I can imagine Moses coming down from the mountain and those people are going... Here we go. It's like when a parent says, go to your room, and then you hear the steps, right? Uh, the parent coming up the steps, and the kid knows, all right, here it comes, right? And that fear begins to rise. I, could, I can imagine Moses coming down off 
that mountain, and there's this great fear, and his face is radiant. And it's this symbol that God is here, he's present, and he's going to forgive. So say, remember when those guys were fearful? They sought the Lord. Even when they had done wrong, they sought the Lord, and God answered them. Remember back then? It's still true today. Then he says this. Then he references himself in in verse 6. He says, This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. He's actually referring to his own story. He said, This man, he's talking about himself. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his own trouble. Now, the title of this psalm, if you look up, maybe your Bible has it, maybe it doesn't. But if you see Psalm 34 at the top, a lot of times in Bibles, they'll actually give a title to what the context is between it. And this one, I love it. It says this, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Okay, okay, well, I want to know that story. That sounds like a good story, right? And, in, and we find it in 1 Samuel 22. If you remember, David is on the run from Saul and he's afraid, just like we talked about. And the text says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of the king of Gath, which is another name for this Abimelech. So he's, he's terrified. Again, he's scared of Saul. And so he goes before this other king and this king tells him, hey, I've heard of you. You're like the famous guy, right? Yeah. And David's like, no, 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 not me. Like, He's trying to downplay himself big time here. Like, no, 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 don't say that. That's the very thing that's getting me in trouble. And he's so scared of this king. He's so scared that the king might be working for Saul or they might be in cahoots or things like that, that David acts insane in front of him in order to show him, like, I'm not, I'm not that great. I'm not that, you know, like, he literally, so this is what, this is what the, the, the passage says in 1 Samuel 22. It says, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. That's 22 verse 13. David is so afraid for his life, he acts like an insane man in order to spare him. And he's saying, and so he calls himself a poor man, which I'd say that classifies right now, yes. This poor man called to the Lord, and he heard him, and he saved him from his trouble. So David references Moses, he now references himself in his own story. And then he does one more in verse 7. He says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Does that sound familiar? An angel of the Lord coming around and encamping a, a people in order to save them. This is the story of the Red Sea splitting. And if you remember the story, they get to the Red Sea, and the, past, and the, the scriptures say that Pharaoh changes his mind about letting them go. And so he sends an army to come after them. And so the people are at the foot of the Red Sea, and they're stuck, and they turn around, and this army is chasing after them. And the passage says that the angel of the Lord that was leading them circled around them and guarded them and protected them and delivered them from the Egyptians. So once again, David says, remember your history. Remember your past. Remember your ancestors when they were on the verge of utter fear. And the passage says in Exodus that they were utterly, utterly afraid that the Lord encamped around them, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. So we find in all three examples, David shows us that all feared for their lives, and in all three examples, he shows that God answered 
their prayers. He's saying don't have a bad memory. I don't know about you, but I have a bad memory sometimes. Right? I, 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 I'm, I'm insecure or I'm fear or something happens and I forget that God has already delivered me time and time again. That God has been there for me. God has secured me. God has loved me. God has carried me through. And yet I forget. I have a bad memory. So David wants to remind us, have a good memory. Remember what happened in the past so that you can live in freedom in, in the present. And you can continue to live in freedom in the future. So we've established that if you seek the Lord, he will deliver you from all your fears. And we've been given these examples of how that's playing out. But what does seek the Lord actually mean in this psalm? Well, it starts with an invitation. So, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds, a lot of times that sounds uh, very Christianese. Like, it's okay, just seek the Lord. Right? And you go, okay. But what does that act, like, what does that mean? Like, that sounds very nice on a pulpit. But on Monday morning, what does it mean to seek the Lord? Well, it means several things, but there's a specific meaning for it here. And it starts with an invitation. And it's probably one that we've, you've heard before. It says this, taste and see, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this is often read like a nice little nugget. We say this to each other. Everyone's oh, let's, let's taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And it, 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 it invokes a lot of warm fuzzies in us when we hear that, right? We'll say that we'll be sitting on a beach and we'll go, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or we'll be around uh, the dinner table, oh, man, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or we've spent enough time with Javier Roche and we go, oh, the Lord, taste and see the Lord is good. Like, this is, he is, he's great, right? Or, or a good friend or something like that. But that's actually not the context of the passage, that might not, that's not necessarily wrong. It's, it's not wrong to, to taste the Lord's goodness in those moments. Absolutely is. But that's not what this psalm is saying. And we get actually a, a, the, a, the meaning behind it actually in the New Testament because first Peter, in 1 Peter 2, he actually quotes this scripture. And he gives us sort of the explanation for it. In 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 1, he says this, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, tasting that the Lord is good is all about obedience. When you are in obedience to the Lord, you begin to taste the goodness of the Lord. When you actually are doing the things your father asks you to do, you begin to live in better freedom. You begin to live with a better spiritual eyes. You begin to be released from these fears and released from these insecurities, released from the things that hold you down when you are living in obedience to him. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we are actually doing the things he asks us to do. My children... Uh, I have a daughter who's six, Mia. She was a tiny little baby uh, when we were here. She's six now, a three-year-old. We try to communicate this to them. And of course, we do it on their level. But it's, our rules are there for your goodness. Like, we don't create arbitrary rules just because 
we like to be the puppet masters and have you like dance on our strings. Like the rules are in place for your betterment. We tell you not to touch the stove because it will burn you. And when you don't touch the stove, it is better for you. Or when we say don't go out, you can't go out in the road without us. You can't, you really can't even touch the road. Don't go in the road. Because you'll get hit by a car if you. And so when you obey us, when you obey your father, who has these rules for you, you will actually live the best life possible. Right? Does that make sense? Like, if a child follows their parents' rules, and their parents' rules are for their, for their protection and, and for their love, you will experience the best life possible. You will taste and see that the Lord is good, that your father is good when you obey them. And those fears begin to melt away because we can now sit in the presence of our Father. And those fears begin to melt away because we're living in obedience. And because we're living in that obedience, these rules and these things that God has for us are for our betterment. All of a sudden, the things that we fear are no longer that scary anymore. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And then it, 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 he continues on. He, this is not just the only line which he, he talks about obedience. He says this uh, in verses 9 through 10. It says, Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is having a healthy, holy reverence for him. And like we said, it's, and he uses this childlike language again in, in the psalm to make this point. As a father, I have rules for you for your betterment. If you follow them, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, my three-year-old son, he uh, is very mischievous. I don't know where he got that from, but he's very mischievous. And some comes downright defiant. Right? He, he, he's the kid. Mia's not like this, but Mike is the kid where you say, don't touch the plant, and he'll go. <laughs> right? Just to test you. But as time has gone on, he has learned in a healthy way to fear his parents. <laughs> in a very healthy way to fear his parents. He's at the point now that when he's doing something wrong, and again, he hears those footsteps coming, he scrambles, right? I don't know what to do, right? What do I do with my hands? He doesn't, he doesn't know. A lot of times, if we can't find Micah, the first place we check is under the table because he's usually found something he's not supposed to have, and he sneaks under the table and hides while he's doing it. But when we catch him, he, he has this, this gasp. And I, I've never heard a kid do this before, but we'll be like, Micah, and he'll go, oh, like, I've been caught. And he knows the fear of the Lord is, has come. Now, hopefully over time, that actually begins to, that fear actually begins to change his behavior. That he begins to, to realize, wait a minute, actually, dad has that rule for a reason. And as best he can as a three-year-old, he's beginning to process that fear of the Lord. And it's not a fear that we, we should have that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's manipulative or fear that we have that uh, uh, is harmful in any way. But there's a reverence that's good that we need to have. And when we have that, it's almost like a play on words here in the scripture. For those who fear, God will answer them 
by moving your fear off of yourself and onto something better. Right? We actually move our fear. It says, don't fear, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, all your other fear goes away. The, the, the capacity we have to fear the Lord and obey him is the same capacity we have to live in freedom. And for me, I know that it's absolutely true that my, my disobedience is in direct relation to my belief that God is good and that what he has for me is better than what I want to do. And I actually have to remember that and actively remember that again and again and again. And then it says this, verse 19. The righteous may have troubles, but the Lord delivers them from all. He protects all their bones, and not one of them will be broken. You see, when we, one thing we need to be careful of is when we look at this passage and we say, well, taste and see that the Lord is good. If I'm obedient, if I'm obedient to God, therefore life will go well. And, 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 and there is a, a school of theology that basically says this, this health and wealth gospel that says if you're obedient to God, God will then give you everything you want. And the tasting and seeing isn't the freedom you have in Christ. It's the car. It's the job. It's making a lot of money or having a lot of children or having a big house or whatever, hitting that promotion, whatever it is. That, that's, that's my reward for being obedient. And that, that's, there's nothing that can be further from the truth. In fact, what the, the psalm is saying is the righteous may have trouble. In fact, I'd say, count on it. Because when you are being obedient, the world around who is oriented in another direction will push back on that. And you will have trouble. But the Lord, it says, delivers them from them all. He protects all their bones and not one of them will be broken. That's kind of weird, right? Like, okay, like, does anyone walk around like fearful that you're going to break a bone today? Like, I don't fear that. So what's going on here? Now, the word bone in the Hebrew is the word exam, but it can also mean might, power, or vigor. And so what happened is over time, this word was being used for bones, but it also could be meaning uh, kind of power and vigor and strength, kind of an internal strength. And so over time, these words began to merge and fuse, and people began to see a, a word picture being played out with this thing, so that your bones became a symbol of your inner strength. Bones became a symbol of sort of how you're orienting your inward life, how strong you were, how, how focused you were, how, how you were able to have health in your soul as much as health in your body. And so when someone breaks a bone in the Old Testament, it was always seen as sort of a divine punishment or something happened. When you, when you break a bone, you don't just break a bone. Something's happening much deeper than that. Something with your might or your power, your vigor, vigor has been broken too. And so the psalmist takes this symbolism and says that although the righteous will have trouble, the Lord won't let their inward strength fail. They don't need to fear because God's favor is on them 
not one of their bones will be broken. Your bones might break, but your bones won't break. You tracking? See, the world will bring you trouble, and specifically when you're obedient, but your bones will stay intact. And of course, we know the rest of the story, because then John uh, takes this image and uses it to describe Jesus. Remember the story of Jesus in John chapter 19. The soldiers are breaking the legs of the others who are being crucified to ensure a quick death, and they get to Jesus and they find that he's already dead. And so they quote this song. John quotes this song. Not a bone was broken. The world broke everything in Jesus, but not his bones. They stayed intact. And the psalmist says, that same power is in you. That as you're obedient to God, There might be troubles, but your bones will stay intact. Jesus calls you, and he calls me, to come and follow him. He says, take up your own cross, be obedient, be righteous, fear the Lord, and this will lead to suffering and hardship, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Not one of your bones will be broken. So what does this obedience look like for us? It might be something big. Maybe you spend all your money, not like a steward for God, but as a consumer for yourself, and it's time to reorient your finances. It's time to take a hard look and make a big decision about your finances. Maybe you've crammed your schedule so full that you have little room for your family, your church, and your God, and you need to take a hard look and say, there are some things I need to let go of so I can be more present and available. Maybe you act just like your coworkers at work, and they would never guess you were a Christian. And it's time to reset your conduct. Maybe it's something big. Maybe God's asking you to do something, and you've put it off for a really long time. And you say, you know what? I've put this off for long enough. I'm ready to taste and see that the Lord is good in a bigger way. I'm ready to say yes to this. Even if it scares me, even if I'm fearful, I'm going to say yes. Or I'm going to say no to that now. And that obedience is going to bring you a peace with God. It's going to, you're going to experience this goodness. You're going to taste it. Because even if it's hard, you know you are walking with God. For me, one of my big yes moments where I said, I don't know how this is going to look, but I know I have to try. I know that I will be like Jonah being, and, and God will need to swallow me up and turn me around if I don't do this was leaving this church. Where I knew that God was calling our family to something else. And we loved it. But we knew that if we didn't try, we would wonder the rest of our lives what if. And we knew that if we, didn't, if we didn't go, that slowly and surely, 
we would lose the, the taste of that goodness of God because we knew we would not be living in obedience to it. And so one of the hardest things we had to do was say, we have to go from here. And we tasted that the Lord was good in those years. And it was hard, and it was difficult, and in the end, it didn't even end up working. Or at least not how we would have wanted it to be defined. But we don't live our lives wondering what it is. And we taste that the Lord is good in that season. We know that we were obedient to it. And you, as a church, said yes as well. You, as a church, were obedient to us. When we... When we did this thing, when we planted this church, we didn't know where money was going to come from. We didn't know where insurance was going to come from. We didn't know anything. And this church was such a stable presence for us. I don't know if you're aware, but two-thirds of everything we raised in the four years we were planting our church came from this congregation. And we will always be thankful for that. And we will always be thankful. And we can look back on that chapter, even though it didn't turn out the way we hoped. We look back on that chapter and we say, God was good. We tasted and saw that the Lord was good. Sometimes it's in the big, big decisions. But sometimes it's just in the little ones. And that's the beauty of having a relationship with God, is it's not just in the big moments, in those daily things, like, like a spouse or a or a cousin, or a, somebody, a roommate, somebody that, it's those daily interactions that remind you of the relationship. And sometimes it's not in the big decision. It's just being obedient in the little ones. I remember um, once, uh, so my office was at the parish house. And do you guys still do blood drives here? Is that something that you guys, yeah. Uh, I always hated it when you did, when you did blood drives here. Because I am deathly afraid of needles. Like, I hate needles. It's something, it took like six nurses to hold me down when I was in kindergarten to get my booster shot. I just, there's something mental about it. I just do not like it. And so every time there was a blood drive, I like just hit out at the parish house. Like I didn't go anywhere. If I needed to make copies or stuff, I just, I wait to the next day. I just always kind of was a hermit those days on that side of the, uh, that side of the street. Until one day I actually pulled in and saw the blood drive sign. I was like, all right, it's going to be one of those days. This is a hideout day. So I go to the parish house, I'm, I'm getting some work done, and I hear that still small voice. I said, Brian, I want you to give blood today. And I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I've given you so much, not this, not this. But of course, like, like he does, he kept it. Brian, I want you to give blood today. And it wasn't an audible voice. It was, it was just something in my spirit that I knew the Lord was pressing upon me. You need to be obedient here. And I did all this, you know, like, well, what good is it? You know, like, I'm just one person. I can't make a difference. You know, I had the whole philosophical conversation, right? I even, like, would sneak out the back. Down here, I'd sneak around, like, the back. If I didn't, like, make, because I didn't want to go in the rotunda, so I'd, like, sneak around the back and make copies that way and kind of sneak around. And the problem was is that, like, the rest... Whenever I interacted with the rest of the staff, they all had their, like, I gave blood sticker, you know, and I didn't have mine. It was, like, sort of the, the scar, like, reverse scarlet letter. Like, I didn't have my, like, oh, where's your sticker? Like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't want one. I don't want, I don't want to brag, you know. I stay humble. 
but all day. Brian, give blood. Why, Lord? What, what's, why? Why do you need it? I'm not, you're not asking me to witness to someone. You're not asking me to, uh, you know, go save a puppy. You're not, at, like, why this? This seems really random. I want you to give blood. And I knew it got to be about 4 o'clock, and I knew if I left that day and didn't do it, that I would have missed something. And I didn't even know why, but I knew I would have missed, that there, there, was a, there was a goodness that God was inviting me into if I was to say yes. So begrudgingly, I walked over. Maureen Smith's very smiley face was, oh, Brian, good. You know, it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, let's get this over. They did all the background check, and I was just desperately hoping, like, I disqualified for some reason. You know, then I could say I was obedient, and they turned me away, God, so there you go. But no, of course, I, yes, you're fine, good. So I get on the table. I'm beginning to shake a little bit. Again, this is all mental. There's, it's not that big a deal. But I just kind of got, and even the nurse was like, take a deep breath. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. I said, just, just do it. And for some reason, I have to watch, too. Like, I have to watch. I don't know why. It's a sickness. I have to watch it. So, you know, one, two, three, and they did it. You know, they did all the rap. And, of course, it doesn't, it's not like you're done, right? They, if you've given blood, it, they put it in. It can take up to 10 or 15 minutes to get the amount of blood they need. And so they have you lie down, and you can eat cookies and juice and the whole thing. So that was nice. I like that. <laughs> so she got me all hooked up. And, of course, it's never as bad. At, like, every time after this happened, I always go, that wasn't that bad. And then I work myself up for the next time to do it. So she said, all right, it's going to take a little bit of time. Just kind of lay back and, uh, and just relax, and, you know, it'll be done soon. Okay. So I was laying there, and I just began to talk down. I said, God, what, what was this all about? Again, this, I wasn't, you didn't ask me to witness to someone. You didn't ask me to save someone from a burning car. You didn't ask me to do these things that clearly have, you know, kingdom implications. You just wanted me to give blood. Is, is my blood special blood? Is it going to save someone in a hospital? So, like, what, what is the purpose? And all I got was, again, the still small voice. And I don't, again, not an audible voice, not anything, just something, words came into my heart. And it said, and he said, Brian, I gave all my blood for you. Thank you for giving just a little bit of yours. And that's it. God just wanted to give me a taste of his goodness. But it required me to say yes. And it required me to just put my fears aside for one minute so that I could taste and see that the Lord was good. And I think God invites us into that more often than we know. And how many times do I say no? Or I'm too busy. Or I'm so distracted with things that don't matter. And I'm not aware and available and open to God inviting me into his goodness on a daily basis. It can be in the big things. But it can be in the small things too. God invites you to taste and see that he is good. And he asks us to say yes. He invites us into that story. So friends, may you come to see that peace comes through obedience.
And may you taste and see that the Lord is good. May you sleep well, knowing that all our fears are good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this psalm. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to be part of your story. That we get to follow in Jesus' footsteps to the cross. And although our obedience will bring us trouble, our bones won't be broken. And we thank you that daily you invite us to come and taste and see that you are good. Lord, help us to be more aware of that. Help us to see it. Help us to be available. Help us to be open to how you want to interact with us every day. And may we be willing to say, We love you, Jesus.